Good morning. Happy New Year. I, I don't know. I find myself very nervous. I think I had way too much coffee. I, I had two cups at home, and I went to the coffee bean that was very near, and I ran into Jen there, and I was drinking a real large. And look at me. I'm like shaking. And it's not because of you. It's, it's caffeine. Or maybe it's a combination of two. I, you know, I was telling, <clears throat> I've been telling our congregation that, that this uh, 2014 is going to be one of the most uh, exciting and yet very challenging year in the church history. And I think it'll be the same for you as well. And, when, and it, it may not be something that you're, you're thinking. And when I say that this year is going to be exciting and challenging, it's not because of any external changes that may will, or will take place in our churches, but I think the exciting and the challenge, in my humble opinion, is going to come because what God is going to do, just the formation of our character and the chiseling of our sinful hearts and those things is going to be quite challenging and very exciting. Uh, exciting background music, by the way. <laughs> And uh, it's, it's going to be fun. Amen? Amen? And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do that in the context of your family, in your marriage, in your church, in your work, and whatever the context that God has placed in your life. And uh, it's going to be fun. And, I, and, I, and that's really our journey, isn't it? It's, it's the, that's the will of God that he has for people who has placed their faith and trust in him that he is going to do something radical inside out, and he wants to change us, change our character, change our hearts, and that's part of our journey. So I bring good news to you, and I hope that this message will be a source of encouragement as we kick off this new year. Well, I have some slides, and I know that we read the passage, thank you very much, but I wanted to kind of keep that uh, in the background, and... uh, and we've heard these verses before. I know, son, when did, he, when did she get married? A couple of weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Now, Jen, did you, you did the ceremony? Okay, so did you, I don't know whether Pastor Jen referred to this particular passage or not, but you, you, know, the, you know chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians it is a very well-known verse in the Bible that probably most referenced in, the, in a wedding ceremony or maybe in the Hallmark cards, you know, love is patient, love is kind, and all that stuff. And, 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 and generally, when you listen to this, particularly verses 4 through 8, when you listen to it, uh, how does your heart feel? Nervous? <laughs> it it kind of gives you like warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? I, I think it does. Uh, and, but let me tell you that that was certainly not Paul's intention. And he certainly did not expect or did not want this section of the Bible to be applied in a wedding ceremony, for sure. When he wrote these famous words to the Corinthian church, the listeners, originally, they were not emotionally felt positive. It was not warming. It was not touching. It was not something that was very uh, uh, fuzzy or 
not fuzzy, but it wasn't very, you know what I'm saying, it wasn't very, you know. And, uh, but, but more or less, the words that Paul wrote to Corinthians here was more or less a bombshell. It was an indictment. It was a, a critical commentary of the things that they are and the things that they were not. Now, let me, before we get into it, let me give you a little bit of a background of the Corinthian church. And if you've ever, if you've been around the church block, you may or may not know that the city of Corinth was a, a major metropolis. It is alike to New York, Tokyo, L.A., Chicago, or Seoul, or, you know, these major cities of the world. And, and the people go to these major cities for various reasons, but by and large, people who are intense, people who are driven for, to success, they, it, it is a, because it is a place, a center of commerce, It is a very resourceful city, and people go to these cities for those particular reasons and to kind of make it in this world. So the the people in the church of Corinth were filled with pretty intense and driven people. It's like you take the people who go to church in Manhattan, New York. They are very different from the church people in Wichita, Kansas. You know what I'm saying? So we're talking about a different DNA when it comes to the kinds of people that are inside the church of Corinth. So with that sort of a brief uh, context uh, or background, just think with me. What Paul is saying here in verses 1 through 3, he is revealing to the readers what they already have, the kinds of people that they are in terms of their talents and their abilities, supernatural abilities, I might add. They have this incredible skills of communication. They have incredible talents of leadership and smarts and intelligence. They are wealthy. They are gifted. But Paul is saying that all those things may be good, but they lack one thing, and which is love. It's... And without love, Paul is saying that you are nothing. And then verses 4 through 6 is rather, again, a very critical commentary of their character, what they are not. Okay? So now maybe you're reading these verses very differently from, uh, from the ways that you did perhaps in the past. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that your character sucks. Your character stinks. Your doing is great but their being is not that impressive. So that is what Paul is pointing out here in this passage. Now, many of you, uh, you are, quote-unquote, professionals. You may be doctors, lawyers, teachers, or whatever, engineer, whatever the case may be. You are called professionals because you are good at what you do. It's all about performance. And The talents and the achievements are great, but Paul, again, is emphasizing and underscoring that he doesn't care about what you can do. He doesn't care so much about your performance. If if you are still selfish and vain and conceited and etc., you got nothing. You are nothing. You are a spiritual zero. Character is everything. Achievement is, uh, is pretty much nothing. So what is... Heart character. If you go to the next slide. Well, let's just kind of quickly review what it's not. 
if you go back to the passage that we looked at, he talks about speaking in tongues of men or of angels. What is that about? Well, we're talking about individuals who are a great visionary. They have leadership gifts. And when Paul talks about the gift of prophecy, we're talking about this supernatural gift where God is speaking directly to you, and uh, it's a special revelation from God. How about this incredible ability to move mountains? And there's people who are able to perform miracles and people who gave out of their abundance tremendous generosity. Just eye-popping generosity is what Paul is talking about, giving all that I possess. And, and, And we often mistake that people who possess and do these things are so-called super giant or spiritual, you know, filled, spirit-filled Christians. But Paul is saying that that's not the case. That may not be the case. If you are not motivated by love, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter whether you do all those things and beyond. Okay? If you understand, just give me a little nod. Don't just, you know, don't fall asleep. But, Okay? Because Jesus says, next slide, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Man, that's pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, for a preacher like me and for Jen, like, God, you know, we did all this stuff. And he, he may say, you evildoer. <laughs> Away from me. I never knew. It, it is by far the most scariest uh, verses in the Bible. Now, next slide. I always say, It is possible to give my talents to God, but not my heart. You may be doing great deeds, but never surrender your faith and your trust. Just think about it a little bit. We do, as Christians, we do fall into this temptation, do we not? Lots of talent without character can be a spiritual poison. And uh, it's, poss- it's always possible to just constantly do, 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 but be nothing. Uh, I wonder if there are some of you here who are kind of hiding behind your good deeds and all the good things that you're doing for people and then for church and for your community, for work and all that. And behind and hiding behind those talents and your abilities But deep underneath, you have no joy. You feel like you're being like slighted all the time, and you you find yourself constantly irritated. You find yourself very harsh. It's it's so natural for us to make the mistake of displaying our gifts and projecting this greatness, and we think that that's all about grace, and it's about our character. And Paul says, no, it's not. It's not just about being good. 
It's not just being just responding to people. It's not about your talents or your moral virtuous behavior or looking good or, or you being socially conscious or you being living a life, lifestyle of simplicity or you living a life of sacrifice, integrity and faithfulness and honesty and dying for your faith. That, those things are all good. Wouldn't you agree? Right? It's not a trick question. Those are all good. Those are all good. And yet what Paul is doing is he's going deeper. He's going beyond your behaviors. And that can be done for two very different heart motives. It's possible to be so sacrificial, committed, and still be nothing. You may be giving your time and your money and etc. But do all that without love. Now what is love? When I say, what is love, it kind of reminds me of SNL. But anyway, uh, don't, you, some of you didn't get it. <laughs> Roxbury. Anyway, uh, <laughs> those of you who are a little older may know what I'm talking about. So what, what, now let's get serious. What, what, is, what is love? What is love? Common sense of love or common definition of love is what? To serve the needs of the other person. Wouldn't you agree? I know that's very elementary, but... But fundamentally, that's what love is all about. You, you love by serving the other person rather than yourself. Now, if you are serving the other in order to feel good about yourself, If that's the reason why you're being kind and generous and being humble, if you're doing that to count or to make you feel like you're worthy, that's not love. Do you get it? Uh, Paul is... uh, Let me illustrate. Have you ever... I've been married this past year. We... My wife and I have been married for 22 years. Oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. It's been hard. It's been a lot of uh, smiles and a lot of tears. And, but guys, those of you who are married, have you ever done stuff for your spouse so that you can do something? You can like watch TV all day. Have you ever like done the dishes or the laundry or, or cooked the meals so that you can do something for yourself? Uh, the guys, I'm saying, the guys. Okay, take it easy now. <laughs> the guys, have it. Now, if, if, you, if you're not raising your hands, you're, you're, you're liars. We've all done that. We've all been there and done that. We've, we've, we, constant, we, we do things, whether it's, even the wives are guilty of this, right? It's not just the guys, right? We, we all do stuff for our spouse so that we can, do certain things, and I'm here to tell you, testify before you in the name of Jesus, that that's not love. <laughs> because it's all about you. You see what I'm saying? Notice, it doesn't say, love does not lie. Love does not steal. Love does not murder. That's ten commandments. This is more subtle. It is be. It is like off the radar. It's beneath the rules. You can be incredibly generous with your time and your money. You could be living 
a life, a virtuous life. You, you, you honor all the rules. You're a good person. And yet, do you get impatient with people? And yet, it's all, it's, you become very harsh. You're self-centered, and you always have to win every argument. Do you know somebody like that? Don't nudge, all right? I think you know what I'm talking about. Your service and your commitment and your faithfulness is not being driven by love. Your moralistic lifestyle is not about love. It's about you. What is your deep heart motive of being here today? I dare ask. What is it? I like the quote. I don't know where I got it. Next slide. It says, uh, real love, not based in me, doesn't give up. Love doesn't fall. That kind of love doesn't fall apart or down. Don't make the mistake of being good, virtuous, moral, committed, sacrificial, etc., etc., for a really changed heart. It's possible to all of those things and have no love. So if it's not being gifted, if it's not about talents, it's not about being good, what's it all about? It's about living a life that is filled with the grace of God. Let me try to break it down. What does that mean? Let's go back to the, uh, if we can go back to verse 1, original slide. Paul says, he talks about this very interesting, this graphic illustration You know, if I speak in tongues of men or angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Every time I read that, I'm always reminded of like when 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 in Dodger Stadiums when when Rue is pitching, you know, they're Koreans with those like those pots and pans. I always think about that. I don't know why. I'm weird. Anyway, uh but what why What is Paul talking about here, talking about gongs and cymbals? He has a particular image in his mind. You have to recognize that. Because in the city of Corinth, there lies a temple of Aphrodite, a temple, the goddess of love. And when people came into this place of pagan worship, into this temple, they would make all kinds of noise. They would create a a, a grand pageantry in order to get the attention, okay, in order to get the attention of their god, the Aphrodite. And so in their worship, they would literally create this, this, this epic sound. I don't know exactly what they did, but it was, it was loud. In order to get the attention, in or, because in order to impress their god, They had to be merited. So what is Paul saying? Listen, church, you can be going to church doing all those things as a clanging cymbal or gong to try to get get the attention of your heavenly Father. Look at me, Father. Look at me, God. I'm preaching this morning at the cross church. Look at me, God. I'm doing this. I'm giving all this money to the church. I'm doing all this, sacrificing my time And if you're doing that, 
to get a sense of validation from God, Paul is saying that you are nothing but a gong, a resounding cymbal. It's pretty scary if you ask me. You can be perceived as being very Christian-y without being a Christian. What is your approach to God? You'd never do what you do to feel validation. You never do what you do in order to, to just kind of fulfill your inner spiritual vacuum. You do what you do as a believer in Christ because God has poured so much into you. And out of that fullness... You do all of the above. Does that make sense? What God has done in you and for you, and out of that abundance you give, you do, you serve, you do everything. That's what grace is all about. Now, how do you do this? Uh, How do you do it? I'm almost done. I'm going to land this plane very, very soon. Now the attention level goes, spikes up every time that I say, in conclusion, but anyway. (laughs) I play this game. uh, You and I, some of you may know that uh, Kay and I, my wife and I, we have three daughters. My oldest one actually will be 20 this month. (sighs) I just, it's just crazy. She's like, she'll be 20 at the end of the month. And the second one is uh, 16, and the youngest is 15. So when they were a lot younger, I used to play this game, you know, finish the sentence. And I would ask them, girls, finish the sentence. I wish my dad would be more... (laughs) It's scary, I know. But I I, I often play that game. It's... If you can call it a game, it's... <laughs> and I grew up... My, my dad was a uh, five-star general. And it was like... Our, our house was like the, the Von Trapp family. You know? He would, like, blow the whistle, and we would, like... All of us would line up. Like, he would, like, inspect us and one by one. And, and he... And that's how we, and, and when I was growing up, I thought literally my name was Pali Pali. You know, those of you who don't know what that means, it means hurry up, hurry up, Pali Pali. Because my dad would always say, Pali Pali. You know, hurry up, hurry up, Pali. I said, Dad, you call me? You know, <laughs> Pali Pali, because he, he was, it, it's all about punctuality. For, for him, your sense of worth depended on your punctuality. Okay, if you're not, if you're late, you're not, you're not a human being. Okay, and I have inherited that. If I'm late, I'm either dead or I'm like in a car crash or something. I am, you could ask our church people, I am never late. I'm always early, 5, 10, 15 minutes. You know, Jen knows this, right? <laughs> and, and so, uh, so you're looking at a man who is, I wish my dad would be more, guess what? 
What does that say? Love is patient. I hate that passage, you know? I hate it when, he, when Paul says love is patient because I am very impatient. Listen, church, I ain't going to be patient. I ain't going to become patient by setting a New Year's resolution. I'll tell you that right now. You're not going to be the kind of person that God wants you to be by your volition, by setting up some disciplines or by willing it and try to, try to use your mental capacity to make it happen. I'm telling you that it's not going to work. And I know I'm not going to be patient just because I tell myself, boy, Rick, you've got to be patient. It's not going to work. So what's the secret? Go back to verse 4 through 7. Are we there yet? Uh, yeah. When you, when you read these verses about love, we hardly think about the person of Jesus. But we think more about what we should be and what we should do. And Paul here is being deliberately practical. And he doesn't give us guidelines or rules, but Paul, what he does is he personifies love. Love is a person. Love is a living, active power that needs to get hold of you and me and breathe life into you. Christianity is not about some few precepts or serendipities that you need to figure out. It's not about living a life of obedience and, and meditating and memorizing Bible verses. It's not about that. When... When you think about love is long-suffering, patience, where do we see that? Where do we see it? We see it at the cross. We see it at the cross. Not my will, but thy will be done. Right? When, When Paul says, love does not keep record of the wrong or the past, where do we see that? On the cross, Jesus says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What Paul does, again, by defining what love is, he personifies what love is. And what what we need to direct our minds and our hearts when we read these verses is that we need to think deeply about Jesus. And we need to allow him to enter into our hearts and take hold of us and bring about radical change because that's the only way that I'm going to be patient. That's the only way that you will ever become what God intended you to be. This is not some guide for behavior. You will never get there. You cannot just memorize these verses and expect transformation because it's not going to happen. I love... uh, Go to the last slide, I think. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, what's your name again? Nadia. Nadia. You're doing a great job. Um, Jonathan Edwards, he defines love as putting your happiness in the happiness of the other one. I like that. You don't look that impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I am very impressed by his uh, definition. It's simple, but very profound. 
If you love someone in order to make yourself happy, that's not love. If you love this church because it has a great children's program or for your kids, and if you like the sermon, you know, okay. <laughs> I, I love it when, when, I'm sure Jen has done a lot of premarital counseling, is like when you sit down, and, and it's always, a, I always laugh when, when somebody, or where the, where the couple says, you know, when you ask them, so why are you getting married? And they say, well, because... He completes me. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't externally laugh, but I just like, just laughing inside, you idiot. I mean, you know, I was like, seriously? He makes me whole. Ah, Joda. I mean, just, 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 just so idiotic. So how can you be so moronic about love? You know, it's like, gosh, you know, it's, You meet my needs. <laughs> I, oh, just, I just want to die, you know. Just, <laughs> I love you because you make me feel that I'm not a loser, <laughs> you know. Or I love you that you can... Or how about this? I, I love you, God, because you can take me to heaven. Not so funny anymore. It's not love. Um, the delight and happiness of the other is your delight and happiness. And there's nothing less. I think Christ did that for us, did he not? Right? You figure it out. Christ did exactly that. And the truth is that that fact and that reality is indeed transformational because Christ did something for you. He did something for me. And that is deeply personal. It is genuine. It is not manufactured. It is real. And, I, and that's where the excitement and the challenge lies in this new year. Uh, and I pray that Christ would enter your heart and, and then, and only then, that you will indeed have a happy new year. You will indeed have a happy marriage, happy individual life as a single. You will indeed have a happy church. You will indeed be happy in your work God's love is very practical. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you so much for your precious uh, word. We thank you, God, that love has been personified in your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we look upon the, what Paul has uh, written to the Corinthian church, telling us what love is all about, Lord, May we think about you. May we internalize Jesus in our lives. May we think about, may we drink from that fountain 
so that we would be deeply satisfied. It would bring about change, transformation, realigning of our hearts to yours and deeply being rooted into your heart and, and letting the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in our midst. Oh Lord, we desire that in this upcoming year. And again, Lord, you have taught us the secret. It is not something that we can do. It, is, it could only happen because what has been done on the cross. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you. We embrace you. Help us to live a grace-filled lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.